Episode 127 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, CLB. It's me, Terry Flower. And today we're joined by Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan. Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan. Yeah, listen, I don't always use the doctor, but for this circumstance, I'm using it. Yes, Lord. Why would, why would you, you get a doctor and not use it? I you have to. Yeah, I always, I only use it in my Little Woods catalogue, to be honest. It's yeah. the only place I've ever <laughs> used it. It's, I don't know, I feel a little bit like embarrassed by it, but proud. I Whenever I go to school and do a talk, I always say I'm a doctor, but don't ask me to treat you for anything because I'm not that type of doctor. Yeah, yeah. why do you feel embarrassed by it? I don't know. It's a little bit like, I don't want to, you know yourself. Is it like imposter? You don't yeah. want to sound condescending either. Yeah, yeah. Or I don't want, you know the way in Ireland as well, you're just like, you can't Who say how great you is. are. Yeah. You can't say yeah. how great you are. Do you know what I mean? So it's strange to be like, I'm a doctor. Yeah. But yeah, keep it humble. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm proud of it. I would be going in order in a coffee and watch a name like Dr. Calvin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can call yourself that as well if you want to. No yeah. one's going to check your credentials at the end of the day. Come here, how's things? How are you keeping? I'm good. I'm good. I've had a mad few weeks. My yeah, book. Out. Yeah, the book came out last Thursday, my book, my memoir. And then I've been on the BBC been on in the guardian pat kenny but this is the podcast i've been waiting to come on <laughs> cannot believe you had sharon lambert on ahead of me like i'm a better doctor than her i hope she hears this and knows well, it as well absolutely and she's from cork as well she's not she's not actually from cork though oh, that's yeah. the thing yeah but we needed to uh, we needed to bump up the numbers with culties you know what i mean i know so yeah, the, yeah. Listen, when i seen she was on here i was snapping yeah. <laughs> it's like my story's amazing when they're gonna bring me on anyway come here what's the book called it's called poor p-o-o-r and it's about growing up poor but it's also about how the system is poor yeah so like i use the word poor as for a double meaning yeah just to draw attention to the fact that while i grew up poor the situation that i found in school and social workers and all that stuff the guards that was poor as well so we'll, we'll get look, into that yeah we're gonna get into all of it very soon me and you know each other oh my god it's so weird how mad is it's like yourself? you've been following me around for years now many joking yeah well it does sound like one of us is following <laughs> each other doesn't it it would be weird if i was following you because i'm like 20 years older so that's a val it'd be also weird if i was following you because i was six <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah but me and katrina are chatting outside there and we lived a couple of doors away from each other. Yeah. And I remember I'm making French toast for me and the boys. I know. When we lived up at the park for me, Jared and Gavin. How mad is that? Yeah, it's really weird. Like, we, we, I moved out of town. I lived in Summerhill for years. And then I was trying to, like, better myself. So I moved up to, <laughs> I moved up to the Phoenix Park, up to Bio Devony. And, uh, yeah, you yeah, lived on the same room. We moved up, we were only up there for a few months, though. And, uh, we moved up there as well from the flats and it was a mad little choir. We were in a little cottage and all. It was yeah, a same. mad little syrup. It was, it was bleeding mice and all the gaff. Yeah. My mum sitting there drinking Linden Village and all. I was just a mad <laughs> I old know. I, smoking the hash and all. I was you? like this. We, little redhead running around the place. Yeah, I remember you. <laughs> that now. little boss. You were that little boss. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you were thinking. That I was know. hand in hand. I know. know. You know what he was like when he was yeah. younger. Yeah. Come here. Uh, have we got zingers? Oh, yeah. Right, I'm going to bang out a shy zinger, yeah? 
go. Just because one of us has to do a bleeding. Go, you know go. Come on. in about eight months. I'm ready. Right. So, because it's like Santa Ponza out there, right? I a summer person or a winter person. Winter, 100%. Same as myself. But I'm winter because I have red hair. Yeah, I prefer to be able to put layers on and get warm. I, it's very hard to get uh, cool. Cooler. This but, we had a zinger before about that. Would you rather be too hot or too cold? Yeah. And you'd rather be too cold because you can warm up, but yeah, if you're too hot, you exactly. can't cool down. Yeah. It's a it's a fashion dilemma to me when the sun comes out. Because in Ireland you really don't have that many clothes that suit this weather. No. So like you have to go all out and find go to Zara on the day when the sun's coming out, quick or pennies, go shopping quick. So give me the winter any day. And I don't understand anybody who lives in Ireland who likes the sun. Why are you here? Yeah, do you Go know somewhere what? else. Yeah. <laughs> I have a real issue with people who have convertible cars in Ireland. Oh my God. And see when I just Well, uh, why has one? Yeah, and how often does he take her out? Yeah. Only three months of the year, I think. Three, yeah, say... three months of the year he takes it out and then in them three months drives it about three times. Nah. Yeah, once a month. I'd say Willa is driving around all year round. With the roof down. All he has gone. <laughs> Snowing out. Yeah, yeah. I know Willa well. Uh, well. I'd yeah. say he's yeah. driving around. Yeah, I have an issue with that as well. But I do see that and I'd be like, mate, how much of a wanker are you? It's 10 degrees and you have the roof down. I know you're freezing. Have you ever been in, <laughs> have you ever been in the convertible 30? <laughs> yeah, I've seen Willa as well. Yeah, and was it cold? <laughs> no, bro. Yeah. It would be freezing driving a convertible. This is where a fact. Go on. Yeah, because I'm going to uh, debunk a myth right here, yeah? Go on. Oh, There's God. a myth that Ireland doesn't have good summers. And Ireland, it never rains in Ireland from May to September. Never. Listen. And it's a myth that we've bad summers. It right. feels like it rains here, even if it doesn't rain here. That's if, a valid point. You know, so it does yeah. feel like it's... The debunk, your debunk. Can I just say something, though? Oh. Listen, what pisses me off when the sun comes out in Ireland, why does everybody all head down to, to Bull Island? Why do they all go to the same place? Why does everyone get red arms, white patches? It's a, it's disgusting. But how do you want us to cope with that? Because I have that right now. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Don't go out in it. 50 fast. Just sit in the gap. Yeah, sit in the gap. Yeah. Or in the garden. Hide your, hide your redness. Yeah, I'm sizzled right now, I am. Do you yeah. remember last year we went to Forbidden Fruit and that was... It's actually this weekend. Yeah. yeah. Ah. And what was the weather great that day, Terry? No, it wasn't the best now. What, what was the weather like? Yeah. Torrential ah. rain, yeah. In the height of summer, torrential rain and all yeah. that. Wasn't me fine the spur of water. The reason why we don't get nice summers is because you get like a, a spell of two weeks where the weather's like this. Yeah. Then it'll piss down rain for a while and then you get another spell like that. Whereas you go to Spain. I know. Go to California, it never rains at all. It doesn't rain at all. The whole year round doesn't Do you rain. you like that? No, I'm a winter person myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like when you're up in the morning and it's dark. But and I like when it's dark at like six, seven, you know, like, oh, it's night time now. Yeah. You're chilling out in the gaff, it's half nine, ten o'clock, the sun is still splitting the trees. Exactly. And you're like, I actually want to go to bed now, I'm bollocks tired. The thing is, though, the weather in Ireland gives us something to talk about. When we're all yeah. awkward with each other, everybody's awkward in Ireland. We're just awkward. That's the way it is. And the island, the weather gives us something to give out about. So if it's sunny, we can chat, we can, hot, we can yeah. bond with each other over the weather so it's like I hate this weather do you hate this lovely, lovely out there isn't it it's bleeding gorgeous isn't it yes lovely the weather is a brilliant what do you mean by we're awkward we're awkward I, are we ah, yeah. I think we, we'd be a good nation now for oh, we're great. conversation nah. we're on the lift deep, with somebody. deep conversation you don't know real shit <laughs> yeah, but you know what because you can't ask him what's his name and where he comes from because he's going to go off in a second do you get me yeah. so you kind of just have to be like all right, mate. And nice weather. That small talk kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. If you bump into someone in a coffee shop you have all day. Yeah, yeah. someone that you know. We're yeah, but like, listen, we're you know. not good with deep stuff. 
let's be real about yeah, it. No, We're not really. good. We we like we like to just have top conversations. Yeah, but, but you know, you'd know someone's man who could be terminally ill in hospital. You'd be like, how's your man? Like, oh yeah, she's grand. She's grand. She's not grand. Yeah. Why yeah. are you saying that? Why do we say that? Yeah, I think it's everything is grand and, and cracked. Fuck all, yeah, nothing happening. Yeah, I know nothing there's happened, loads yeah. happening. But then again, like you're gonna tell someone all your deepest shit when they just you know you're not re- they're not really asking you. Yeah. yeah. So how are you? Oh Jesus! But I that's feel the awkwardness, no? That's yeah. you're just saying that because it's awkward. So you're just saying that they oh, say that something. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. When you say it like that, now they think about it. Yeah. It is like that because like that. My go-to when I see someone is. Oh, what story? How are you? Yeah. Imagine if they actually stopped and told me how they were. Yeah, you would be bollocks. Why did I ask? Like, I'm late for a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want to know. Katrina, you had a singer. Oh, I have a couple. Lovely. Okay, so first one is this. Would you Now, I probably know what you're going to say because okay. I've, I've heard about your feelings about animals. Okay. So I'm just going to ask you this anyway. Would you rather be able to, to talk, understand what animals are saying Mm. or speak every language in the world? Speak every language. Yeah. We had this one before. Really? Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah, we did have it before. I, I know you said animals, obviously, but it with, with or without either law doesn't really matter to me. Why? Why animals, though? This because, is me. Because, I'm a psychologist now, so this I is know, important. Yeah, we yeah. Why animals? Because uh, I'd see more animals, like, you know what I mean? Like, how many times do I have to switch my language? Yeah. You know, I don't really leave Dublin very I know we have other so nationalities practical. and all here, but I don't really leave Dublin that often. Most people speak English here, so I'm killed with just knowing English. And then if I see an odd dog and he's telling me about his day, I'm like, this is a bit mad. Do you get me? Yeah. <laughs> but, that, and that's my fear because yeah. my dog is a moany little pox. Yeah. I wonder where he gets it. He does moan all the bleeding yeah. time. I'm like, mate, you've been fed, you've been walked. You literally <laughs> had to pick up your shoe. You see me picking up your shoe and you're still moaning. <laughs> and like, imagine he could talk. He wouldn't yeah. shut the fuck up yeah. you're like I'm raging I picked that now why can I not just speak bleeding Senegalese or whatever you know okay. what I mean well, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather speak yeah. Zulu than know what my dog is, is, wants to say to me I yeah. prefer to speak to animals I'd have to I just love to understand not eat, not my dog now because she's annoying mm. I'd say she just she licks my feet my dog I'd be like what is she thinking because that's disgusting <laughs> seriously my husband won't All even go to my feet that, imagine your dog could talk he'd ring you and be like where are you like, I'm just going to the shop I'll be back in a minute and then you'd hang up and you'd go to Audi around the shop and he'd ring you and he'd be like where are you and I'd be like I'm still in the shop alright I'm just checking and he'd constantly ring you but can I say though my dog adores me yeah. <laughs> literally so if my dog if I knew what my dog was saying it'd be like constantly having a cheerleader yeah. I love you I love you where yeah. you going I love you I need you Jesus yeah, that's, that's like heaven much. to me that's but too much I'd like to understand understand like why elephants like cross the country how they know like how the birds know where to fly every year like what like, we know this but we don't really know they have, maybe the birds have a different reason than the ones we think so do you think that like birds like have fucking maybe Google they're meeting maps? each other maybe they have like cousins in South Africa or some hot and they're country, going over to see and them. they're going over like yeah. do you know what I mean maybe there's a christening going on with the birds that yeah. we don't know and we're thinking it's some fucking aerodynamic thing we're or, thinking they're all emigrating for the winter and all but it's not, they're not they're getting Ryan Air flights for as long as they want they're getting Ryan Air flights no, I, don't, I don't know or do they get tired I think they get tired no they have to stop over in London and get a connection for <laughs> 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 yeah. I think they get tired do they get tired yeah, yeah. but they well, glide like, there's boards that do like fly to Africa for the winter yeah. from Ireland yeah. from Ireland yeah. Yeah. so where are they stopping off then 
like when, Somewhere along when the they way. need a kipper. Tenerife. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, Tenerife. Like Bull Islands, they won't fill that in because birds come back there every year. Mm. So they can't actually ever fill in Bull Island but because it's a sanctuary for birds that return every year. But I'd love to know, like, what, you know. Anyway, that's the other one. So you've done that zinger before. I feel terrible now. No, you should no, have known no, that's that. Fresh. Another one. A good conversation would you, over. Would you yeah. either be a leader or in the team? Leader. Oh. In the team or the leader. But the leader is in the team as well, yeah? Yeah, see, no, no, you're the leader Put of the team. Put me front and centre. Yeah. Let me dance and talk. Okay. And yeah. be at the front. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I do this all the time with kids in, in girls in schools. <laughs> I do this question, we do this all, this all the time in schools. Would you be the leader or would you be in the team? Mm. Well, well, what's, the, what's the pros and cons about Yeah, really? Well, leader, <laughs> you're responsible. You're responsible for everything. At the end of the day, mm. so, so like, you have to take the rap like, you have to take, well, goes wrong. Yeah, but also you like get the credit if it goes well. Yeah, exactly. You get the credit. So you looked at the positive way of it. But, yeah, but I'm just thinking about you. Well. How many times have we gone to do something? You'd be like, right, Calvin, you're doing this now, and I'd be like, Terry. How many times do you say, "Not a hope"? You're walking first. See, when we're going out to a stage for yeah. the live show. You go. First. I had to go in front of Calvin. Yeah. It wasn't because I'm the leader. Because Calvin thought I was going to run away. Yeah. She pushed me to the front. <laughs> Get out onto that stage. Oh, bollocks! That's a leader taking action. You know what I mean? He was leading. From behind. What about the time I looked back and you were like a bag of water on the stairs? Yeah, I took a bang up before that wasn't that wasn't the crack. But speaking of live he shows, did. he did backstage. Oh yeah, God. speaking Didn't of live shows, what? tickets are on sale for the 29th, the second eight this year. We're doing uh, 28th of June of Seoul, Lou, 29th of June the next night on sale now. Take a master ground, get your tickets. Went on sale. When did they go on sale? Flooding. Went on sale last week. So they're out a couple of days now. They're selling well. They're selling well. So yeah. get in there quick before they're gone because the last time. They were selling well, and then there was like a day and nothing happened, and then the next day, boom, they're all gone again. And we're like, yeah. Yeah. see, we warned you, so yeah. get in, don't hesitate, get yeah. your tickets. Leader or team for you? I don't mind either, or I'm a team player, like I really am, uh, but I've no problem stepping up. When... You have to pick one. I'll go leader. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird, you know, because when I do stuff in skills with girls... Oh Fantastic. <laughs> This is really clipping that. Oh my god. Fantastic. Oh my god. Yeah, you're some leader, I tell you. Oh my god. We're 127 episodes in. That's the very first time that's ever happened. Really? Yeah, I've Must never be a seen sign. one of us never spilled water. <laughs> Go on, Katrina. What are you saying? Fuck him. And when, you, oh. when, when I do stuff in skills with girls. We're going to have to stop the podcast. Why do we have to stop the podcast? You've got a pretty good job. I want to have a I've chat with you. I'm going to put back across because you never know top one. <laughs> 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 Mate, I'm at the being intrigued. Will you hurry up? Oh, my God. Oh, stop. Oh, fuck's sake. Probably nervous. He's the nervous fella. I'm the leader, he said, and he's bleeding. I know. His hands are rattled. He yeah, it's because I'm a doctor. Because yeah, I'm a doctor. Yeah, that's I, I, my man's like, I do be all paranoid all around. Like, really? Like psychologists, doctors, and all that carry on. You do? Yeah. Why? Thinking they can read you and all. Because I feel like he's always assess people. That's bullshit, though. No, I know. We don't know nothing. I've asked people. We don't know nothing. I've asked psychologists and all that. Like, why are you on about your yeah. That's not how it works. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're definitely Yeah, hey, no, no. Uh, honestly, <laughs> you go to parties and all, you tell people you do psychology, they get freaked. They're all paranoid. You're reading my mind. I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. I fucking can't even read my own mind, let alone your mind. <laughs> psychologist, not a psychic. Like, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Jesus. That's all right. Are you nervous, bro? Is that what it is? I had a bad day today, didn't I? Is it? Oh, is it? Oh, good luck. You had a bad day? You know one of them when you slag someone and then they tell you something sad? Oh, oh, is that what happened? Oh, I'm having a bad day. And you're like, oh, I feel bad now. Oh, stop. That's just what happened in there. Jesus. Why don't you hear my story? It's going to get worse. 
Well, there it is, the clip for this week. <laughs> it's going to get worse. You'll be throwing water on me. <laughs> oh, stop. I reckon we should just let that keep rolling there, Siobhan. I don't see the issue. What do you think, Siobhan? Siobhan's the go. Siobhan runs the show anyways. Siobhan does run the show. I'm not actually drinking. I'm just going to say how dehydrated now for yeah. the rest of the show. Yeah. Oh. I took my top off, ring down the kitchen. Did you really? Not, I swear to God, I'm about to ring my t-shirt out in the kitchen. Wow. Yeah, you drowned it just yeah. the other day. Yeah, fix it. Yeah, yeah, I know, sorry. Yeah. We should play that in uh, in slow motion on the podcast. I, I think it'd be what deadly. What happened there? I know. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I just heard you going. Ah. <laughs> what was that? Well, the was talking about gender equality there, and you just got freaked out. <laughs> so I ask girls that question in schools, in desh schools, right? Right. And we most of the girls say, "I want to be in the team." Yeah. Because girls don't always want to lead yeah. because they think that's not their thing. So part of my job is trying to get girls to realise that they can lead and they're amazing leaders. I've always wanted to lead and I'm not ashamed of it either. Fucking right, Jack. I know, I know. Yeah. But you know, as a woman, like, you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed you're to be supposed assertive. You're supposed to be like, yeah. you know, all like, Passive oh, demure to a yeah. man and all. You yeah. be the boss there. It's a kind of similar. This may sound super. See, in football, like women's football teams get managed by men and men's football teams get managed by men. I know. Mm. You never see a female managing a men's team. No, I know. Is I, that like that kind of like yeah. that? Is it like because that's the leader, no? Well, yeah, we, we, we actually do like leadership qualities are supposed to are like male qualities. So when you talk about a man, the same qualities are supposed to apply to leadership. So when we, we're not socialized into believing that we have them qualities. We're supposed to be like, you know, submissive, yeah. subservient. Let men lead and us now. If you go back to my house, that's not what happens in my gap. <laughs> <laughs> the boss there. I feel like that's a very working class trait of women, though. Like, you don't want to cross a blatant working class woman. You know what I mean? She lets you know about it. Like, yeah. She rip it in half. Fucking right. Yeah. Mm. But you also have to remember, like, obviously I grew up working class. You also have these other ideas about, like, to get a man you have to be a certain way as well. Mm. So like you live with that in your head. Like you're the boss with the kids and all and don't fuck with my family. Do you know what I mean? But so you're a lioness, but you're also like thinking, ah, oh, a fella's not going to want me if I'm not, if I'm not like good and I'm not letting him be the boss. So there's a, it's complicated. That's exactly how a lioness walks though, isn't it? A lioness does all the walk. Yeah. But like the, the lion is in charge of the pride. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good analogy there. It is. You're mad with the old animals. What's going on I here? Don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that is. Hey, you should, so, Doctor, yeah, Doctor Doolittle. That's Doctor. what you're at, yeah. <laughs> God, please don't let that stick. Doctor Doolittle. Episode yeah. 127 with Doctor Doolittle. Doctor Doolittle, yeah. So that was my zinger. I've been, think, I've been up in my head about the zingers for you weeks. I had another zinger out the back. You had to forget Oh, it, yeah, you? I did. I had... Um, the Fregar yeah. a high one, you said. Yeah, the Fregar a high one. Yeah, that'll cause trouble, won't yeah, it? No, lad, listen. That. No, no. <laughs> that can't go I out. have to say, right, I drive... I live in Blanche now. I drive from Blanche to Fregar. I would never go high one and it's closer. Lads. I, think, like, I don't think this can go out. I genuinely think we're going to cause you more trouble. and town, there will be a standoff. Fragrant River is the best Chinese in the world, I'd say. It Better is than nice. the Chinese is in China, even though there's probably none of them in there. Does yeah. not know. I know someone who went to China looking yeah. for a spice bag. No, there's no spice bag. You about your mic, hunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the curry sauce in Fragrant River is amazing. Mm. Honestly, sometimes I'd be like, I would move back to town. Just for this. For that. Back to poverty. <laughs> risk it all. You risk it all. Just for that. Just for the Curry. Sunday night. Yeah. Fragrant River. Yeah, no, it's controversial. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to answer because I, I've... Yeah. You have to answer. I value my life. We do. Get me. You have to. I don't think we do. No. Frega. Frega. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you. I'm at that. I actually, yeah. Uh, I don't understand why you're defending the fingers. fingers. I'm not defending anyone. You're, yeah, I you're afraid. They can't point the finger at him like that. Nah, yeah. Do you like Fragrant River, though? No. Oh, my God. Don't like how you want either. Oh, really? I only had this conversation so, last night. You're a kind of person. You're then? a sab. Sand sab, sab yeah. Chipper. More of a toy kind of person, to be honest. Oh, my God. The app and Camille, like. I don't get Camille, I get Sand Sab. Yeah. Oh, I've never tried it. Brian, Brian got me my first ever Indian there a couple of weeks ago. Oh, my God. Lads, Indian grub. Can I just say something? Egg. I grew up, right, Irish family in yeah. the Midlands of England, Birmingham. That's where Indian comes from. Yeah. It is beautiful. Oh. Maturing is realizing that when you're getting a curry. Chinese at the bottom of the ladder. Oh, bottom. And Thai and Indian are ahead of it. Oh, yeah. Indian. That's what mature is. Indian. It's very Indian hard to get a good Indian in Ireland. Yeah. Very and hard. At a reasonable price as well. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. The fucking price of a bleeding Indian At least I'm a doctor curry. now, so I don't really mind the price. Oh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if you quit, Did you? Bella. No, I'm joking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never. Now, when I was living in town, there was no way I was paying them prices. But now I wouldn't mind. If it was a good Indian, I'd travel for it. But I mm. can't really find one. Yeah. So if anyone on the podcast can let me know. Yeah. If there's a good one anywhere else. We're just the best Rogue and Josh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. We're at the main rambling for a long time. Okay. Um, I love the Crocs, by the way. I think you're the first guest to ever come in in Crocs. I mm. love me Crocs. Yeah. I love, I've got three different play players. I get slagged for them all the time, but like, listen. Three different colour yokes. Three different colours. I have yeah. like rainbow ones. If I want to feel like I'm walking on sunshine, I wear them. <laughs> oh, they're, in, uh, they're in comfort mode, isn't it? And then yeah, sport mode is when you put them... Yeah, and you flip the yoke yeah. back yeah. in there yeah. over the hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Taking a chase, you so, just flick it back there. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. You're gone. You never. But this is the first place. podcast or anything. Usually, right? I get freaked. So I've been on. I was in the Irish Times. I was Pat Kenny and all that. Blazing, and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck do you wear? I am not one of them. Yeah. You know, like, but you lads, I was like, oh, mm. I can wear me Stella McCartney, <laughs> yeah. me Crocs. Oh, you see this podcast and flip flops. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Many a times you've yeah. done it like that. It's one of the hard things though about being from where I'm from and actually working where I do yeah. in like university as a lecturer. You you just don't have the the same fashion as them. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. dress weird, like. Modest, that's what I call it. <laughs> Low heeled shoes. They don't show their breasts off very often, the women. <laughs> not that I do. I'm not in my lectures doing that now. But you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a fashion, there's a uniform to the classes. Yeah. And I don't have that. And it's hard. I hear you. Anyway. The real struggles. The real struggles. Right. Yeah. What, what, what to wear. What to wear on the podcast. So, Katrina, take us back to the start. What's your name? Where'd you come from? What was life like growing up? For you. So, my name's Katrina O'Sullivan. I grew up, as you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up in um, Coventry in in England. Irish family. My dad was from Clontarf. Leafy Clontarf. That's what they call it in all the newspaper stories. Yeah. Leafy Clontarf. Leafy it's not even that fucking leafy out there. But anyway, my dad was, um, <coughs> my dad was in uh, Goldenbridge. So I don't know if you know, Goldenbridge is an orphanage in Inchicore where a lot of abuse happened. And he lived there. He was there for five years and he was adopted then. And he um, grew up in Clontarf, but I think his life was set by the time he was five. Like He ended up strung out, went to Coventry, met me ma at a bus stop. She asked her for directions. She took, her back to, took him back to her gaff and he never left. Yeah. <laughs> five kids later. My earliest memories, though, are like me ma injecting herself. So, like, I grew up in a house where we just, we didn't have food. Like, 
We didn't have nurture, no hugs. My mum and dad are both addicts in and out of prison. All that heavy, horrible stuff going on. So my earliest life is, my earliest memories are like pretty horrific. A gaff in Coventry, no electricity, social workers coming in and out. Like heavy, horrible beginnings. So one of the earliest memories I have is um, about six, finding me dad overdosed. Now, I love my dad. And one of the reasons I wrote my book is because sometimes we talk about addicts as if they're just one dimensional. They're just like the drug addicts. But my dad was, was great, loved music. He was outgoing and really clever, but he was an addict, you know, and that dominated everything. But I love me dad, especially when I was young. Like he brought a lot of stability to our house because me ma on her own was, a ma was, madder, was madder than him. And uh, one of my earliest memories is of him finding him in the bedroom with a needle in his groin and his skin all blue and thinking, me dad's dead, like. Um, and there was loads of incidents like that, but that particular incident sticks out as, I suppose, like an example of me childhood, you know? Did you know what was happening when you found it out like that? Or did you just know something's wrong here? I knew heroin was like their medicine. Mm. So like, I remember me mice, we dying sick. And I knew, like, there was a fella who used to sell it, so I used to come to the gaff, like, and Coke was his, his nickname. And I used to be like, he, need, he needs to come. So I knew that this this brown stuff yeah. was the thing that made them better. Yeah, or function. Function, yeah. yeah. But when she was sick particularly, I didn't see my dad dying sick that much. He used to hide it well, but I saw me ma a lot. And I knew that this, this thing was their medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And then at that age, are you going to school and all at this age then? Yeah. So, yeah, my first school, like I, I was, I was real bright kids. So like we all are bright, me and me siblings, you know, me dad's bright. We're all like, like most kids full of crack, like wanting to play sport and whatever. I learned to read real young. My dad taught me to read real young. He was a reader and um, I went to school and but like what was hard is I went to school where I used to piss the beds, roll out of beds, no, no stuff in the gaff to wash and head into school. So I was fucking stinking, nits, not, no toothbrushes, nothing. So none of the kids wanted to play with me, mm. which was horrible because you're in the home. It's horrible. And then you go to school. It was horrible as well. Mm. The one thing I was lucky, though, I had a, a really good um teacher my first ever teacher was this Irish teacher Miss Arkinson so my first real memory of school is like walking into this Georgian building and this woman like I didn't trust people I still find it hard now but you know like back then I'd, most of the people like teachers or policemen or guards or whatever you you're warned like don't tell them nothing and they don't treat you very well and so I was already by the age of five or six like suspicious of people and this woman I remember starting um, school and she was like oh another Irish girl because she's from Ireland as well and she was like oh you're Katrina you're so and she said my name properly because my name is spelled weird everyone used to say Catriona but it's Katrina like mm. and she'd be like Katrina and so it was I had a really great experience in school with her mm. but she was she taught me to wash like um a few a few months in, obviously they could see the neglect. And uh, this particular teacher, she um, one morning I remember uh, 
the nursery assistant called me into the little bathroom in the in the nursery and I like immediately thinking I'm in trouble because I was always I was wild like who sits for six hours a day when they've all that shit going on at home like school is fucked up expecting me to behave like everybody else when me man and dad are so mad but the teacher took me into the bathroom and um she says to me you know she comes down to me crouched down she's like you've done nothing wrong like you, it's okay and so I'm a bit nervous but and she pulls out this bag and she's got these knickers and they've got like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday written on them. She pulls out this white fluffy towel and soap and a flannel and she says, I'm just going to teach you how to wash yourself. And I'm like, she knows I'm pissy because they're all calling me pissy knickers in school anyway, not wanting to play with me. So I'm ashamed, but I'm also like want to be cared for. So she shows me how to wash myself. She takes, she's like, you've done nothing wrong. She's so lovely, this woman. I never forget, she had like short blonde hair. I used to think, is she Princess Diana? <laughs> she looked like her, I'm so old. Mm. But um, they, she actually had this bag. She, she said, this is going to be here every morning. So she used to, come in, used to come in here early every day and just come in and do this. So I used to wash myself and change my underwear every day and used to wash my underwear for me every day. I know how tragic that is and... And it's sad, like, but that's such a wholesome I know. thing to hear about, like, for a teacher to do something like that for, for a child. I know. Who clearly needs it, you know what I mean? Because there wasn't enough of that no. years no. ago. There definitely wasn't. It was just kind of like come into school, and no matter what age you were either, you were just taught to come in, wear the uniform, have everything in check and learn. I know. No matter what was going on at home. I know. So to have a teacher come in to pull you out, separate yeah. and do that is like it's beautiful yeah and that lived with me my whole life like yeah. so like I teach now and like my first thing when I teach is care it's not like have you got the laptop have you done the thing it's like are you okay mm. is, are you okay yeah and unfortunately like we don't have that's not consistent across our education system or the education system so while I had that wonderful experience the next class that I moved into I had this, can I say, cunt <laughs> of a teacher. I'm just going to say it like, mm. but she was, this teacher used to like, she used to scream at me because I didn't have a pen, mm. a pencil. Miss Cows, I called her in my book. I had to change her name. But um, so I have this like wonderful experience with Miss Arkinson for two years because I was in nursery and reception. That's how they do it in England. It's like uh, junior infants, senior infants. And then I move and I'm in with this other teacher and it's completely different. So the teacher used to, like I could read and I loved reads. Like I was so proud of myself that that was my thing. And they had a library in the school because we didn't have nothing at home. So I used to be avidly like reading stuff and trying to learn or whatever. And I loved school because it was so organised. I knew what was going to happen and I got fed. It was school dinners. <laughs> like so in England we had school dinners. They don't have it here. It's all over the place here. But in England... Like, Bits and bobs here, don't they? They've it, yeah. sandwiches or the, the packet. Or chicken fillet rolls. Like in yeah. Mercy and Chicago, they buy chicken fillet rolls every day, which is great. Yeah. But we had this roller, this uh, metal roller that used to roll up at 12 o'clock. I'd be sitting there like a dog. Like I used to be sitting in class like about 11.45 and I, 
like you know the way your dog, you know the way the lead, you get the dog's lead and the dog goes crazy. Or you get the you go to the cupboard where the food is and the and dog goes crazy. Yeah. Like I'd be sitting there concentrating on the study or whatever, and then the th the rollers would go up where the dinners would come from. And I'm like salivating because I'm fucking starving, like. Mm. And uh school dinners made my made it easier for me at the end of the day like and it's not costly to feed kids like no. who need it at the end of the day we should do it but yeah. anyway i had this horrible teacher then so she, i used to love to read and she used to stand me up and like if i made a mistake she'd scream at me like and try and like take away it was like she was trying to take away the confidence that i had she hated me i heard her call me pissy knickers and all i one day i um i won a raffle there was a big michael jackson painting and we all got a raffle ticket and we're all in the hall and I'm kneeling sitting down in rows with all the other kids and my ticket gets called out and I'm like oh my god I won I won it I know it's Michael Jackson things have changed but back then he was amazing so I'm, I walk past this teacher and I hear her say how is she going to fit that in her dustbin and I'm like nine eight or nine like what the fuck and you know what's been mad about like going back over my life and writing my book like I was on the radio in, in the UK a few months ago and um, one of my teachers got in touch with me who, um, who remembered me. And when I met her, I said to her, is that teacher still there? And she was like, oh, yeah, we all knew what she was doing to people. And what made me mad was that they all knew. Yeah. yeah. So we all know when there's a bad teacher. Yeah. I had a counter like that recently. Um, I had a teacher reach out to me and they were like, sorry to hear because we've been very vocal about like the negative experiences we've had with teachers and he said, I'm oh, sorry to hear what happened to you with, I won't say the teacher's name. Oh, we all knew he was like that. And I was like, don't fucking come back and say this to me 10 years later. Oh, we all knew he was like, because at the time, you fucking agreed with him and I you know. facilitated it. And if he told you this is a bad apple, you treated that student like a bad apple, I you know. never get that student a chance. I know. So don't come back to me 10 years later and say, oh, look, we all knew, blah, blah, blah. Because it's one thing if your boss says, that person's a prick and you say, oh yeah, he's a prick and then you go and you have to deal with that person one-to-one. -one. You can be like, look, you you have your own chance to put that impression on that student. You don't have to do, do what someone else tells you because at the end of the day, it's your classroom. I know. So what happens when that door closes down to you and coming fucking years later and sending a message apologising to cop out in my eyes. So, I know. Yeah. And the thing is though, that's still going on. Yeah, I work in schools all the time. I'm that's my job. Like I've developed programs that are reaching out to all the deaf schools in Ireland, all the girls. And every fucking school you go to, you hear a story. I've seen it. And my belief is this if you're not saying anything, you're complicit. Mm. You're in it. If you've got the privilege to be able to say to be able to stand up, if you're educated and you have the privilege and you're not saying anything, then you're actually part of it. Yeah, definitely. And 100% you have to be saying something. People find that hard to believe though. People, you ever hear when a child tells a story about a teacher, people are like, why would a teacher do that? It's almost like too hard to believe. Like, And people think, you see, what my point is, is like, if you're poor like I was, right? So if you're a rich kids, so like my kids now, if they had an issue with the teacher and they came home, I'm strong enough to be able to go and fight and fight for him and make sure that he's okay. Mm -hmm. But in the case of kids like us or kids who are in poverty or kids who are, have a disability or family issues, we're getting it at home and then you're getting it in school as well, which yeah. is so fucked up and so wrong at the end of the day. Yeah. And like, it's still going on. Like it is one of the reasons I wrote the book is to try and draw attention to the fact that one teacher can change your life for a good reason 
or a bad reason. And in my case, I had teachers who actually changed my life for good reasons, but I also had the other side of it. Well, you yeah. showed both sides there with the two stories that you told. And yeah, exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. And that's what, and like you said, that still happens today. Yeah. yeah. And it can really, really drive kids down the wrong road. Like you're course. telling a the child they're going to be nothing in life, Dave. Like, well, if a teacher is saying it, must be true. But Yeah. But the thing is, like, I, my experience in school was this, right? Even though I had good teachers, the expectation for me was to just finish school. Yeah. Like, I never met, no one told me about university. Not one person told me about university. We didn't have, like, access programs or all that mm-hmm. stuff, people coming in. I never knew anyone who went to university in my life. I never knew anyone who didn't, like, go to prison generally. So, like... How they and like I knew that they that the expectation for for a girl like me was I'd be lucky if I finished school, and that's when you're like taught that from everybody, even the good teachers, because they think they're doing good. Like we have like school completion programs here that are focused on making sure kids complete. That's it. Is that it? You're just saying right? Oh, we're going to get you to the end, and that's it. It's it. You know, it makes me mad that the system doesn't actually give everybody the same opportunity to flourish. And back then, I just didn't think I was very clever. Like, I failed in school. Like, I was pregnant. I got pregnant at 15 and dropped out, even though I was, I'm really intelligent. Mm. (laughs) I didn't know that for years. So my experience in school was like a mixed bag, especially primary school. And obviously, I have all this shit going on in my house. That's just horrific. And then I've got like, so like... one of the reasons I wrote about poverty is because like poverty isn't just like some people have been critical about me talking about poverty because they're like, well, I had no money. Money isn't poverty. Poverty mm. is opportunity. Poverty is trauma. Poverty is like we were, I lived in a community where all the people, all the council houses were all thrown in together and everyone's fucking nuts together. So like we were like the craziest family out of, the pretty crazy families anyway, if you yeah. get what I mean. Yeah. So you've got your alcoholics, you've got your, you know, the robbers, whatever. And then we're like the lowest of the low in the bunch because we're both my parents are drug addicts. They're criminals. We're selling drugs from the gaff. There's fucking all this shit coming and going. And like, I'm in the middle of, of all that. This little, beautiful little girl with me siblings trying me best to just get through each day. And it was horrific. Yeah. Horrific childhood. Well, even you mentioned poverty there, and then people saying that they were in poverty. It's almost like people. I don't know how to explain this. It's almost like if you say you are poor, someone is like, "Well, I was poor, I and I done this." I was poorer. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. why can't you? And I hear that all the time. I was I like, "I'm from an area like yours, and I'm not an addict." So how are you an addict? Then no. you know, kind of like that. People respond differently, and people. I mean, uh, growing up in these areas. There's different outcomes for everybody. Yeah. No matter how worse off you are than the next person, do you get me? Exactly. It's almost like somebody wants to tell you how much worse they had it. Exactly. But the thing is as well, if you look at people like us who grew up like that, the risks for like addiction, for prison, for, for suicide, for mental health, for teenage pregnancy, for low job outcomes are so much higher. So... Like I had it this morning. I was on Pat Kenny this morning. Pat was lovely, but he was like, oh, I had a trouble with your book because like I grew up poor. Well, he grew up in a family where they expected him to be, to, to, to finish school, to go to college. He just didn't have a lot of money. Mm. Like I'd love him to grow up in a family like that where everybody, like my ma's cooking me dinner every day and my dad's working, but he's just struggling to get by and they're focused on me for the future. That's not 
That's he grew not... up in households and nothing in the fridge. Nothing. Nothing in the press. Nothing. Damp walls. Yeah. Nothing. Pissy beds. Pissy Springs beds. sticking out the bed. Never no washed. Yeah, no never hot washed. water. No toothbrush. That's that's different to not having a lot of money, but having enough yeah. to have a dinner and sit down with your family and exactly. fucking say grace before. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, so poverty is about opportunity and the conditions. Yeah. Poverty, like, if you've opportunity, I don't think that you're poor. I just think you might lack certain resources. And like, the reality is like, mine is very extreme, but like, there's a lot of kids that still live like me. Like, like, there's kids I know now still living like I was living. Like, I do talks all the time in school. And every school I go to, I have a kid come up to me at the end and say, my man and dad are the same as your man and dad. So it's not, like, gone. Mm. Addiction isn't gone. Like, this shit isn't, is still happening. And the reality is, I think that we, we need to do better as a society, and especially in education. Mm. Like, we definitely need to expect more of kids like me. And, like, my man and dad were ill. They were ill. They had trauma. They had poverty themselves. My ma's dad was an alcoholic. She got beaten her whole childhood. My dad was in an orphanage. So, like, their poverty was, it was intergenerational. They treated us badly because they didn't know how to do better. Yeah. But the state and the system knew, to do, knew how to do so much better by me. And they didn't treat us very well. Yeah. Like, I had a situation when I was a kid. My dad used to sell drugs and... Um, he didn't do it very well because he went to prison. <laughs> <laughs> but he used to sell drugs and uh, there was this policeman, Scada, who had it in for him, you know, as you do, because we all know them when you live in a community like mine. And I remember being about eight years of age and them kicking in the door at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, this guard's searching the house and he picks up me ma's knickers and they're dirty like. And he goes, look at that, you state of your mother. To me, I'm a child. Hmm. I'm A. I'm vulnerable, like. Yeah. I didn't ask for this. But this policeman who the world is telling me I should trust and go to and report shit to, he's like berating me and my brothers. Like my brother's like three years older than me, and he's getting stopped and searched regularly by by policemen and he's a child. And so like the world that's supposed to be caring and supposed to look out for people isn't safe for someone like me. And so I suppose when I write about my book, in my book, it's about that. It's about like how the system fucked me up. Yeah. Not my parents. Yeah. You mentioned that you got pregnant at 15. You're not going to ask me how, are you? I'm <laughs> 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 <And> Michael <Michael's> conception. <laughs> you have an idea. Yeah. You don't need to fill in them blanks. Yeah. How does your life change then? And are you still in school at the time? So yeah, but I was missing a lot of school. So like I had a, I had a, I, I was, I was really good and quick, luckily in school. Like so, you know, I read and, but I was also at that age. By the time you hit teenage years, you know yourself. Like I'm hanging out in the street corner, going out with a joyrider, smoking weeds, taking acids, all that kind of stuff's going on from 13 onwards. But then I'm also like. I still want to be good. Mm. Like I still, I love school. Like I love the learning part of it. But you know, them things don't match. Like it's not very cool to be reading Shakespeare mm. when you're hanging out outside the shops. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And so um, I am in school, but I'm not going very regularly. But at 15, yeah, I got pregnant. And um, that was actually the darkest period of my life, to be honest. Like not because I was pregnant, but my parents kicked me out. So I was homeless, like I was squatting in a, in a flat in Birmingham. We'd moved to Birmingham at that point. And um, it was a horrendous time because 
I'm having a baby. I haven't got a fucking clue what to do, how to be a mum. Obviously, like, I, I want to be a good mum, but I haven't got a clue and I'm living in a squat and um, the social social uh, services come and tell me that I have to go into this mother and baby home. So, like, I ended up, like, having my son in a mother and baby hostel in Birmingham. And uh, that was a really, really dark time. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I'm never going back to school. And the reason was because I felt like they would be happy. Ha, she's she's done what we thought she would do. Do you know what I mean? I felt like the teachers that were like... The prophecy is fulfilled yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I felt like they would judge me and they would be like, I knew she was going to end up like that. Yeah. So, and also like I had this mentality then, which a lot of girls like me have, and there's nothing wrong with this. This is how you're brought up. Like get your book, get yourself a council house, Get your, you know, that's security for someone like me. So it was like, right, okay, I've got to get fucking a flat. I've got to get myself a flat. I've got to get my own flat and make sure that I have myself secure at the end of the day. And school just wasn't going to be part of that. But um, the mother and baby hostel now, that was horrific. Like, I, I find it hard to say without actually crying because... When I gave birth to my son, I love, I, oh my God, like I'm a fierce, loving mother, right? But I'm 16. I haven't got a fucking clue how to make a bottle, how to change a nappy. And also I don't even know how to ask someone to show me that because like you don't ask for help. Like you're not really taught that. So it was a really tough time. I was lucky in a sense that there was these women that used to work in the hostel, like to, they were there to watch her, basically. They were like midwives, but they were on 24 seven. And there was a lovely one and she kind of taught me how to make a bottle and, but I, no one visited me. Me and my son were there for 18 months nearly. Well, all in all about eight, 16 months and um, no one came up. Not one person from my family, not his dad. So just me, me and him in this little, this little room, like, and the loneliness of being like, like feeling alone, like as a kid and as a young person, I always like had hope. I'd be like, one day someone's going to rescue me. One day I'm going to be famous. One day I'm going to be like Madonna or something. But when I was in that particular, in the home, in the hostel, and I'm there on my own with my little boy and no one's coming, I'm like, no one loves me like. And that's really horrible. And it was a horrific time in my life. I got myself a little flat and tried to be like a <laughs> happy little family, which yeah. didn't work, but tried. So what goes on after that then? You, you end up back going up. back then yeah. to yeah. Ireland. You well, like I went on a mad one. So like I'm an addict. Like, and I, I don't mean that like I'm not, I didn't, I didn't get strung out, but like I am extreme as a person in terms of my personality, in terms of my drug use. And I always measured addiction by like my parents. So I'd be looking at them going, I'm not sticking needles in my arms doing what them do they're doing. But like between the ages of say 18 and 21, I went on a mad one. Like I mean like taking drugs most days, raving, not really knowing where my son is, no electricity, no gas, the whole horrible life robbing being like a person that I really didn't want to be. Just a product of your environment, though, that yeah. you grew up in. Yeah, exactly. And like what you want to be and what you are, it's 
they're very hard to connect when you have all this stuff in, inside you driving you. Like I loved my son and I love him today and I wanted to be a great mother as my mom wants to be a great mother. But there was other things that drive behavior. And in this case, for me, there was trauma as a child. There was abuse in my home. But also then, obviously, I have this tendency towards addiction, I think, because me, both my parents are. So I was on a, I went on a bender for about three years. And luckily, my dad had actually got out on bail because he got arrested another time and got out on bail and ran off back to Ireland from England. And he'd found recovery. So he got himself sober and he was doing really well. And he came to, he came back to England and he, he actually, like offered me refuge he was like he saw the state of the the way I was living he was so angry and upset that I was so in such a devastating way and he took John and John lived in Ireland for eight months without me and then I moved over um I came home like because I always felt like Dublin was home we used to come back a lot when we were kids and stuff but um yeah I found I came over and where's your ma at this stage then? My ma's in, in Clontarf as well. Like, my ma's, my ma could never fully get sober. Like, it's really sad. Like, my dad got clean and sober. Now, okay, clean and sober to him, which was like smoking a bit of weed and doing a little bit, but he wasn't like strung out and drinking all the time. Was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. Whereas my mum, she just, she could only ever get six months and then she'd go crazy. She just found it really, I think the guilt, of of what happened to me and all the kids. Yeah. Because like there was a lot of extreme stuff that happens that I haven't even spoke about here that I think my mom, every time she got clean, it the guilt of it was just too much for her. Mm, it's all in the book though. So Yeah, it's all in the book. Yeah. <laughs> but um I came to Dublin and uh, straight away moved into Summerhill. Up uh, moved into Buckingham Street. Uh found home. Straight there. into the deep end with Well, you know well. what? I actually met a fella on the boat. Like, I was always meeting fellas. That was one of my problems as well. But anyway, <laughs> I actually met a fella on the boat. My ma came over to collect me stuff with me. And my ma was sober at the time. And I took her out on a mad one. <laughs> and then um, I came back and I met a fella on the boat from town. And that day I was like, dropped me stuff off in Clontarf. And I was out partying in in town. And this, uh, nothing was different. Like, I was still the same. I was still mad. And uh, ended up getting a little flat in Buckingham Street but by that point like I wanted I always wanted a better life like I didn't want to be reliving all this shit I didn't want my son to be going through it so I found myself living in in Summer Hill and luckily back then there was loads of money in Dublin because it was the Celtic Tiger so I had loads of um community programs going on in Summer Hill so like Joe Dowling used to be down in the five lamps with his little office and uh, I knew Karen and Dara, David, and I knew I knew loads. But got really loved the community in in Dublin one, and so like w as a woman at that time when I was started to look for help, luckily it was there. So I actually was like, I'm fucked. I need help, and all of a sudden I find myself in the fucking Rutland Centre, a funded place. I'm on a medical card. Go down to Joe Dowling, and next thing you know, I'm I'm in treatment. I'm in treatment straight away. I'm so lucky that I wanted to get my shit together at a time where we were funding services and supports for people like me. Mm. So, Rutland Centre. So you get your shit together then? Yeah. You know what? I, it's, I don't know, like... And how old are you again at this 21. Time? 21. I was in there when I was 21. Yeah. Right. My son was five. I'm in there when I'm 21. Look it, 
I, my story is that I don't think anyone who's been through what I've been through or, or has lived the life that I've lived, it doesn't go from, oh, you're fucked up to then you're better. Yeah, no. Like it was a, it was, it's been a journey. Yeah. So like while I, I went into treatment and I got myself clean, I was also still, still mad, still had all this angst inside, still didn't have much value on myself, was always going out with fellas that I shouldn't have been with who were just not fucking suitable, not available, didn't know how to care for myself. So all of that was like a learning um, and in that period, in that couple of years when I was first clean living in Summerhill, I actually got an opportunity to kind of like learn and get better. So one of the most important things that I ever did was Oasis Counseling, which is in Sheriff Street. They were, you can get, you could get free counseling then. So I like, Joe referred me and I was like, within a week I was down getting therapy. And that was probably the game changer for me was actually consistently going to see a counselor. Yeah. And talking to this woman, I didn't realise at the time she was a nun. If I'd have known that, I would have told her all about my sex life. But anyway, that's a different story. John, I'm sorry if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so you obviously go back to education at some point. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, so basically like I was living in town, getting me shit together. Life was getting really better, so much better. I'm cleaning Connolly Station. Like, so I'm work, work on my lone parents' book, a little flat North Great Charles Street, cleaning. I'm a cleaner in Connolly Station, little cash in hand gig. It was yeah. deadly, six o'clock in the morning, two hours. <laughs> pop down, John would be in beds, pop mm. in. But I used to be like, is this fucking it? Yeah. Not there's anything wrong with cleaning. Like we need cleaners. We need, but I'm like... You know, you what else is out there? for yourself, had you? Oh. It's not, I don't know if I did. I just, yeah. no, I just, I just don't, didn't like cleaning. I'm like, is there anything else for me? Yeah. And I was lucky enough that Karen Dowling, who was a friend of mine, I met her on the Connell Street. And I said, we were just chatting away and she says, I'm in Trinity College. I was like, fuck off. Mm. And she was like, I swear mm. to God. Now, I genuinely thought they didn't let us in. Like, and anybody I knew went in there was robbing bikes at that time. Yeah. Now they're robbing laptops. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I thought, like, you had to be, like, a posh posh to go in there. You had to wear a satchel and fucking interrail and whatever. So when she told me that, I was like, I'm, if she can do it, so can I. I think it was my first experience of seeing another woman like me doing something like that. Mm. And, like, I think one thing you forget about, we forget about people like me and you or whoever. Like, we're skilled people. I can buy and sell you, like. I have resilience. I have a mouth that I'll use. I know how to fight physically and <laughs> verbally. But also, like, I'm I'm strong because I've been through a lot and I know how to, like, look after myself. And them skills came into play at that point. So I headed, like, that day I, I went over to Trinity. I went over to the back of Trinity where the Trinity Access Programme was and I said, knocked on this woman's door and I was like, excuse me, <laughs> Karen Dowling is here. She's doing law. I want to change my life. What's the story? And she just sat me down, this woman, and she was at lovely. I think it was the first time I ever had a woman in education, you know, a poshy, in her little modest dress and all, she's like, sit down there, sit down there, tell me your story. And she said, after I finished everything, she was like, ain't you amazing? And like to have somebody like tell you you're great yeah. when you don't get that very often was really important. So I applied to Trinity to do the Trinity Access Programme. Honestly, lads, I had no idea what I was getting myself in, into. I had no fucking clue what it was. If I'd have them, all my friends in town were like, will you lose your book? Will you keep yeah. your rents? Yeah. Rents yeah. Of, you know. Like, have a medical card. Yeah, will you have your medical card? Who's going to look after John? Like literally, they were the questions. Yeah. But I was like, I just just went with it. 
And because I had a bit of recovery and I was in therapy, I was able to kind of make decisions a little bit better at that point for myself. Yeah. And so I just said, I'm just going to do it. And I, I remember being in the interview and there's a panel of fucking lecturers and they're asking me questions. I'm like, I'm never going to get in here, never going to get in. And then one of them just asked me about a book. What book are you reading? And then I just came alive because I love to read and I could express myself. And I knew when I walked out that I, I got it. And my dad, who's, you know, really trying to get his shit together at that point, we got the letter that's offered me the place in Trinity and he, he framed the letter like, you know. Oh, that's unreal. He had it up on the wall in his house. So, yeah, I went to Trinity pretty quickly then after that. Yeah. And Trinity was hard, like. Yeah. Mm. It's not made for people like us. So, like. What do you mean by that? So, like, you know when you're, like, growing up on the street, you have an idea about what's going on in the other people's lives, the rich people's lives. Like, but you're not completely sure if they have it really different. When I was a kid, I remember going to this girl's house for a, a play date. Annette Keatley was her name. And she had like a, a chessboard on her coffee table and a room for a tutor. And I was like, wow, this is fucking mad. But when I went to Trinity, like all of the kids that I was in class with, apart from maybe one or two had gotten through the access program. They all had like done grinds. They'd all been into railing, traveled the world. They knew about art and skiing. They all like came in with little salads in boxes and all. And like it was just a different experience. And I'm there like with me fucking hoops and me tan and swearing and it's hard. And I'm like on my own with John. So I'm like in and out. In and out, because I've got a kid and I'm on my own. None of them mm. have kids on their own. And when I tell them I have a kid, they're all like, oh, Jesus, you know, because obviously I was so young having him. He's seven and I'm 23. So, yeah, it was real shock to me to be in there. And I just hung around with the people in the canteens, the yeah. staff, the security guards and all, because I was too, um, I felt too different. And I don't know, like... Did I come in with that? Because you know the way you can have a chip on your shoulder. But the way you're saying that now makes me feel like I don't think I would fit in there either. Do you get me? Like when people, their their interests are completely different to mine. Yeah. And most of them, I feel, would be like that. But I feel like that with every college, not just Trinity College either. Well, you see, I left Trinity. So I was lecturing in Trinity and I left because I felt like the student body didn't represent me. And so Maynooth is much more diverse than Trinity. The students are. The staff... What did you go to? I went to NCI, but I went to the open day in Trinity and I had very similar experiences. I didn't feel welcome at all. And I have a bit of repressed memories there because uh, when I went to the open day, I went with one of my mates from my class. And in school, we were always told in sixth year, if you're going to an open day, don't worry about it. You just go to the open day. You don't need to come into school that day or whatever. So I went to the open day in Trinity. He wore jeans, I wore a tracksuit. I was like, yeah, it's only across the road from the gaff course. I'm like, I'm not I'm, what yeah. am I dressing up for. I remember I felt I, I felt real out of place, felt real uncomfortable. I remember being in it 15 minutes and being like, I'm not coming here. I don't like it here. And I got very bad. Yeah. Kind of, just felt mad, uncomfortable, awkward about it. Yeah. And we had to obviously hang around for the day because I did on the open day. And I'm, I was like, no, it's not for me. It's very similar to what you're saying. You just know. Yeah. Like, you are not my people. This is not for me. And But see, the thing about it is, though, like I'm, I'm, I'm in there and I'm like, so I went there thinking I wasn't very clever mm. because I 
and I felt like I got in through the back door, through the tap program. So like, I'm still not as good as the other people. Yeah. And then like, I have this experience where all of a sudden, Calvin, like I'm, I'm like really clever, mm. like not just a little bit. Like I'm getting like top marks in the class. Like I'm first class students, which is amazing. So like that was, that was brilliant for me. Yeah, being feeling, underestimated though. Yeah, but like I had been underestimated and then I'd internalized it. So when I'm in Trinity and I'm I'm doing well, like, like the, the, the education was phenomenal mm. and it was amazing for me in terms of growth. So I'm like doing well and performing like everyone else and realizing and growing and saying I'm as good as this was a lie. Like I'm actually really good at this. So that is an amazing feeling and that kept me there. But then I'm also aware I'm different. And like, I mean, the the sad reality is, is that I think, <laughs> hopefully any of the students that was, I think I'm actually a lot better than most of the students who got in there in the normal way. Like I've gone through all this shit. I'm raising a kid on my own. I'm actually no money. I'm fucking broke. I'm like still dealing with addiction in all of my family. My ma like dying, my dad dying, all this shit. And I'm like getting a first and yet this college is not necessarily recognizing that. Like it has this charitable idea. It's like, oh, let's let's let the poor kids yeah. in so we can so we can middle class them. That's yeah. my view, right? I'm saying it's controversial because I know other people have different experiences. But for me, that's my experience. Yeah. And like I so I was lonely. I was lonely in there, but I also grew in a way that I probably wouldn't have grown if I'd have gone somewhere else because I had this amazing university that I'm actually doing brilliantly in. So like there's this two sides of it going on. And then like what happened to me is I actually realized about halfway through. So I did my undergrad. I did it in psychology. And you know why I picked psychology? Not because I love psychology because it was 10 hours a week. And I had a kid and I was on my own. I got offered three degrees and I was like, this is 10 hours. I'm just going to, because then I can go home because no one's going to, I've no one to mind him like. So I'm like, it's it, school hours, it'll cover me. But I loved psychology and I was really good at it. Um, but uh, I'm halfway through, did me psychology, graduated with a first, top of the class, one of the top in the class. And I got offered a PhD scholarship. I have fucking no idea what PhD stands for. <laughs> I still yeah. find it hard to remember what it means. I honestly do. But like, because I'm growing and I'm loving it, they offered me a scholarship and it was eight grand a year on top of me lone parents' book. <coughs> I thought I'd won the lottery. Yeah. I'm so fuck. Like other people are moaning in there about it. And I'm like, I booked my first foreign holiday on that fucking grand check like i'm thinking i'm rich here and other people are like giving out but anyway i'm i'm in the middle of my phd and all of a sudden i'm having this awakening these fuckers know that this is inaccessible to everybody else so like i'm starting seeing it's not just like the system is rigged against poor kids the system is rigged from the beginning if you grow up in Summer Hill, if you grow up in a working class community that there was real poverty, your education is affected, the hopes for you are affected, the people you meet are affected. But the poshies, the affluent people who are getting educated, they know that and they're not doing anything about it. And so I start getting this like rage when I'm in there. And I'm not like having to go at people or anything, but I'm like inside going, I'm not going to be one of them people who just gets all the benefits of this. I'm going to use this privilege to actually try and make things fairer and like challenge people. So like since I 
graduated from college, I've like my career has been I'm going to I'm trying to make things fairer. And I've I'm doing a good job, like not being funny and not blowing my own trumpet. But like I've created programs and I'm trying to write a book and tell me story and make sure that like it challenges the system. Then people to say, why are you not making it fairer? And it's not fucking charity. Like, I'm so skilled, like, and bring so much to that university. Why are we not celebrating that? Why is it only a few kids get in from a few little poor schools? And they're probably the best kids in them schools anyway. Why are we not making it fairer? Yeah. Sorry, anyway, I'm on a rant there. No, I completely Political agree with everything that you're saying. And I'm sad that you had yeah. that experience. I had multiple stories about that. I've told Terrence a load of stories I've had about loads of points in my educational life where I was told no or you shouldn't be here, or you won't be here. And then I'm like, but like, I never done that on anybody. Why? Like, what did I do? And it's just like, you won't be here. And you're like, oh, all right, sound. And then you're out there. And I'm like, right, now what? Yeah. So you're you're constantly like, and I still get it. Yeah, but I still get it now today. Like, uh, last week we were in the Sunday Independent and the college I went to NCI shared it on LinkedIn and like didn't tag me in it. They just said like, uh, NCI alumni, Calvin O'Brien, blah, blah, blah. And I got a notification because someone tagged me in it and said, like, oh, well done, lads. I love the podcast and tagged me. And like, I went on, I'm looking at all the comments and all the people who was, like, reacting to it and the people who work with and people I went to college with. And I got, I don't know, I'm mad overwhelmed about it. Because yeah. I was like, they're the people who I do feel I'm not good enough around. I know. Still to this day. I know. Do you know what I mean? Because you're told... You'll never get there. And then when you do get there, you're like, I'm not supposed to be here. I know. So you're uneasy about it. And I still am now. And I was looking at it and I was like, and someone in work said it to me then. And then I got mad uneasy about it. I and I, I think it still has me rocked to this day. It took me, it's still taking me a week to get over it. Like. But that's how I feel actually with the book coming out and stuff. Like the whole, like, and people say it's imposter syndrome. It's not a syndrome, Calvin. You are an imposter. Mm. Like you are an imposter in the place. I say this to everyone. So like, yeah, I went to college and I come out the other side of it. But I'm like a very small percentage of people around for, and it shouldn't be that way. No, I know. Because I'm not the smartest young who who's even in my friend group probably not the smartest young you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not the smartest young in the area. I'm not the hardest walking in the area. So why am I the only one? I know. Or one of the only ones. And the opportunities I've gotten from this are great for me, yeah, and they benefit me, they benefit me kids going forward. Yeah. And I'm able to live my life the way I want to live my life. But there's people out there who shouldn't be... I don't know, like, they should be where I am, is exactly. what I'm trying they to say. They should be ahead of you, even, yeah. if they have more... Like, I shouldn't be the exception. No. Like, there should be well more people coming through with me. That's the thing. Like, my story shouldn't be so fantastic at the end of the day, but it is. It's like rags to riches tale at the end of the day, because this girl shouldn't be a graduate from Trinity College. I shouldn't be a lecturer in, in Maynooth University. Exactly the same. And the reality is, though... It, it's so sad that it's still happening mm. and that we still see this. Like in my book, I write about like how, how like Trinity, I am so appreciative of the education I received, but like 30 years on from TAP, it's still the same number coming through every year. It's still 60 kids every year. That's it. 60 people get in through the access program every year still. Now they have the higher education access route and all these other programs, but like 60 kids a year, like, come on. We're like so talented at the end of the day and deserve, like where you're born should not predict your outcomes in life. That is just so flawed and wrong. And yet it continues to happen. And like, like you, I'm angry about it. And also, like, I have a bit longer ahead than you. 
in terms of like the experience. So like what you're saying about like feeling that kind of like a bit all over the place about it, that's passed a little bit for me. I feel that though, I work in a university where all the staff, most of the staff are like middle class. Like none of them really, like, you know, I'm not being bad or anything. None of them have really had the experiences that I've had. And like I sit in meetings with them and I have that feeling there. I'm like, why am I the only one here? Like there's loads of people like me who do a fucking great job at teaching kids and being a lecturer and doing research and whatever it is I do. But the opportunities are just not there. Mm. And like in my book, I write about like how what got me here was actually seeing people like me, like Karen, having a place like Joe's to pop into and then getting a grant, keeping me book, having me rad scheme, getting support with with um, my childcare. All them things were so important. And obviously free therapy, like to be able to heal some of the shit that I went through. But you're right, like it's it's a flawed system. And what made me mad about Trinity, I just never forget. <laughs> I'm talking to a fella in sociology in Trinity, like Electra, and I say to him, "This is so unfair." I was like, "Why do we not change it? Like, what the the leaving cert? Like, if you go to a desh school, you're less likely to get good points than if you go to a non desh school. If you're in a school in Ballymun, school in Dublin Four, you're more likely to go and become a doctor in Dublin Four. That's the truth, right? And I says this psychology lecturer, it's so unfair because the talent is everywhere. Mm. And I was like, why do we not change it? He said, look, it, I want to change it, but then I don't want to disadvantage my own kid. That's and I said, so you're happy for your kid to win a race that he's cheated in? And he was like, yeah, I suppose so. If it means his life is better. That made me so fucking mad, so mad, because you're like, if the people who have the privilege of education are not willing to change it, then how are we ever going to make it fairer? Like, mm, And that's why I'm using my education to try and make it better. Mm, I think one of the scariest prospects of them type of people is a working class person who has like upper class ambitions because they won't stop until they fucking get there. And one person that you've mentioned there was Karen Dowling. Like, she's absolutely exceptional at what she does in law. Hmm. And where does she come from? You know. know what I mean? And I mean, that's somebody that you want fighting in your corner. Yeah. Like, if you could pick, if you were, you were in a situation, you're like, look, this person is in this field. Who are you picking? You'd pick who? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I mean, imagine we could apply not just a law, but like, let's say, finance, business, no, no. arts, science. Politics. Anything, politics especially, mm. anything out there and you put people where we're from in there, it's a, it's a scary prospect, like, you know what I mean? God only knows what you'd achieve. Exactly. And the thing is, though, it's, um, yeah, like seeing Karen just a little bit ahead of me and being able to relate to her was so fundamental to me actually being able to go. If I hadn't seen her that day, if I hadn't heard about it by accident, I wouldn't be here today. And, like, the truth is, like, my education has changed my life. It doesn't, and education is not about a job. Unfortunately for us, you think what you're going to be at the end of it. Yeah. What you're going to be. Where's your money coming from? Where's your money, what you're going to be at the end of the day? Because that's what we're taught. Get a job, get money, make sure you're safe. And the truth is education did so much more for me than just a job. Like it made me think differently. Like previously I didn't have any idea about the society what was going on in the world like I didn't really no one taught like you didn't watch the news even it wasn't something and now I think differently I, I feel differently about the world I feel 100% and it's not that I'm diminishing other people's lives but it's really not fair that we're not providing that 
to yeah. people. Fuck the jobs, fuck the money, the wealth, whatever. It's that, like the privilege of just being able to grow in every way. Yeah, it's opening your mind, having conversations. Yeah. And I think it's the networking side of it as well. It's yeah. the people you meet, it's the, uh, the experiences you have. It's, you know, even simple things like I went to this event, I went on that night out and or I bumped into that person or this happened there or I got invited to this thing and stuff like that that all comes with it you know what I mean yeah don't get me wrong the education to have the piece of paper at the end is fucking deadly yeah because that sticks with you for life but it's the experiences and the people you meet on the way you know what I mean like, exactly I'm I'm at the coming from work here to here sorry and I left the job sitting beside a fella who I went to college with who came from very similar circumstances to us yeah and we went to college together I've seen him grow he's seen me grow now the two of us are in the same job and they're thinking like this is fucking class, you know what I mean? Yeah. We've had the same experiences Brilliant. together. Like, yeah. So things like that, you can't put a price on stuff like that, but I hear him talking about things and I'm like, yeah, me and him and I have sim similar views and how we look at stuff as well. And you're like, you can tell this is because you've you've gone through these systems, you know what yeah. I mean? The only thing I will say though, like for me, what happened though, I didn't, like I often think if I, if I could go back, would I do it again? Because like, as I start getting educated, like, I lost a lot as well because of it. So like, and I don't want to put people off. So you go to Trinity and all of a sudden you start thinking different. And then I'm with my family who are still doing whatever they're doing. And then all of a sudden I'm like trying, trying to chat to them and I'm talking to them about like, Bert Yehern and all and giving out about the systems and the structures yeah. and they're like shut the fuck up like you're annoying I'm annoying yeah. to them because yeah. they're not in that <laughs> but then I don't belong also with yeah. the people in Trinity yeah. because they've got this automatic this automatic like privilege like they're just so confident and all whereas I'm like a little bit like uh, angry sometimes chip on my shoulder lack of trust all the stuff that comes from the trauma and the past so I don't fit with them so I have this like little like I'm like lonely. Mm, you're awkward and you're asking about the weather. Yeah, you're awkward. Yeah. Small talk and all that. But, yeah, yeah. All back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so like it, it, it can be hard. It can be, it was hard. Like, and like my book is about like, and my story isn't like a rags to riches tale. Like I'm going through Trinity. Like my mass goes back on gear. Like I'm in Trinity, like doing my PhD, and my mum's fucking strung out, getting a liver transplant in Vincent's. My dad's fucking like so. All of the criminality, all of the craziness in my family, none of that goes away. Like so, there's me in this brilliant college with all this often opportunity, and all the students are doing whatever, and I'm like running home to try to like save my family or still be there for them. Like you don't completely break away no. from your history just because you go to university and everything goes it goes great for you along that front so there is a really it's a really difficult space to navigate and it was really hard for me because I wanted to bring them with me like especially my brothers and sister like I wanted them to come with me like I I I remember sitting in there going my brother could do this my sister could do this my brother's in fucking prison for years and she's homeless and I never talk about them because I, I said I wouldn't talk about it in the book, but like I had to leave them. And like I'm sitting in Trinity going, see you fuckers in here. You're doing nothing to make it fairer for them. And they could just be as good as me and do what I'm doing easily. Mm. But yet where we were born and who we were born to and the poverty of our lives is predicted where they're going to be. And that just made me so sad and still makes me sad. And I sometimes think oh, if I could go back. Maybe I just like, I'd stay with my family 
and stay in the shit. Do you know what I mean? But then I'd look at John and my grandson and my other boys and the life that we have and the future they have. And I think, oh, I have to focus on the fact that their future has changed. Do you know what I mean? And I know that's sad saying that, but like it's it wasn't it's not easy to break away and to move away completely from your family and completely from your community and the stuff that you're familiar with. What do you do now, Katrina? You're a lecturer? I'm a lecturer. Yeah, I'm yeah. an oof, yeah. I'm a lecturer at home as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ask my husband, yeah. yeah. Ask Dave. But yeah, I'm a lecturer. So um, I went all the way in education as well. Like most kids like us, right, they get to the degree and then they go and work in the community or they go. So I went all the way, which I'm really fucking proud of at the end of the day because like... And you should be. A lot of kids don't because we don't have the networks you see so you do a, a law degree and then you don't know anyone in law so you can't get yourself a job i was really lucky that like the le the supervisor i had in my undergraduate he saw something in me and encouraged me to stay and do my phd and because i was like this is deadly i'm I'm growing here i love the money and all because eight grand i'm gonna do it so like i've gone all the way like i'm really successful academic like i've published of research grants like i've like done a really good job in terms of my job and I'm laughing saying that because you're not supposed to blow your own trumpet no. but at the end of the day like I am a proper university lecturer like I teach hundreds of kids every year and I run programs now that are aimed specifically at girls who are in desk schools so like I have a big program that's called the STEM Passport for Inclusion where we go out to schools and they do programs in science, technology, engineering, and maths. And we give them leave insert points for them for the program so that they're actually getting a pathway into the university. And I've been able to like get that into policy. So now it's a, like it's in policy that this program should be run out nationally. So I'm like working hard to try and make it fair. I use my privilege in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Giving it back, trickle down. Yeah. Um, what made you want to write the book? Oh God, that that's That's a lot of pressure, like. Yeah. And a lot of trauma coming up. Loads of trauma. Like I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm 20 years sober, like and clean. So like I, I've a long time, uh, a long time of security within myself in to set, to write a book. And I think you need to have, for the type of book that I've written, I think you should also be supported. To, I know you're in the right place, but I've written it for two reasons. The first reason is I hope that like policymakers read it and teachers read it and guards read it. And they understand like what poverty is and how not be expecting little kids like me to sit and learn in the same way as everybody else. Be a bit more compassionate. Don't put limits. Don't put limits on what I can be and who I can be. Treat us a little bit better and fairer. See the potential. So I wrote it for that reason. But I also wrote it as well for... The money now, nah, money joking. <laughs> you don't get anything. It's fucking terrible, the money. <laughs> I wrote it actually because hopefully there'll be a girl like me somewhere, a woman like me, who'll read it and go, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was, or maybe I could be or do something different. And not that whatever they're doing is wrong, but like if I can do it, other people can. And it's definitely going to inspire someone out there, you know what I mean? Let's hope it's many young yeah. girls that read the book or that hear the podcast that I hear you talking. Because it is an inspirational story. I know you mentioned earlier, rags to riches, or kind of is rags to riches when you think about where you've come from to mm. what you've done now, you know what I mean? So that alone in itself, we need everybody to hear that type of thing. But it doesn't go away though. 
Like no, that, it doesn't go away. The problems are still there and the family problems are still there, but it just shows that you don't actually have to end up on the street and injecting and doing that type of thing. You don't actually have to be a product of the environment and stay there. You can actually, you can fall off for a while and you can go back on the horse and you can go and you can do things which I like if you want. Yeah. Like it's, but having the option is there and not feeling like, I'm, I have to go down a certain path and this is my life and that's where it has to be. Because yeah, yeah. I felt like that for many years in yeah. my life. Yeah. I just always thought the way my life went and was going that this is where it's meant to go. This is yeah. what's meant to happen. Mm. Like I never seen another path or another route. I thought I was going to get locked up or I just thought like this is how it's meant to be because many of my friends are in the same position mm. and unfortunately they're still in the same position now. They're still on the wrong path. But... We're trying to show people that there is a way out. Like, you can do different things with your life if you want. And it's not like as simple as just grow up and do it. No. There's paths to take and there's roads to get down and they're going to be but difficult. Sometimes, but sometimes, though, yeah, it is true. But sometimes, like, in my life, just getting out of bed, that was all that I had the will for with all the shit. Yeah. Like, some people, like, I, I don't know. I don't, it's very hard for people to change their own lives. It has to, there has to be systems in place to help them as well. Like a woman like me, a, girl, a mother on her own with a kid, if she need, if she asks for help, there has to be supports for her at that minute. So like, like even now, like if, if I wanted to get clean now or go into treatment, like there's nowhere for me to go. Like all of that stuff is cut. Like, so we're in a, a position where if you want to change and you try everything, nothing's funded anymore. There's no grants for you. There's no nothing. So like, while I get what you're saying, it's I also think like the system, like the state and people need to do better and make sure the opportunities are there when people realize like you did. Oh, I want to maybe I can do something different. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. um, it's really important. Yeah. Well, I haven't went to college yet. I probably will one yeah. day at the third. Yeah, that, you I, know love I, mean? yeah. Never know, yeah. I love that. I love that. You know what I Come mean? Come to Manus anyway. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, it's a trick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, actually. Yeah. It is yeah. true. So, uh, yeah, the book is out now, Katrina. Yeah, the book came out last Thursday. It's doing, it's doing really well. I think it's doing really well. It's number one on Amazon Brilliant. right now and uh, number nine in Easton's today. Hopefully it's number one next week. The book is out now. I just want to finish on, well, if we're finishing now, but like, the one thing I'll say is like my biggest success, success isn't isn't my education. It's being able to love my family. Like I, I have a I have a happy marriage, like and a, and a lovely and my kids are happy. Like I'm a great man. And like you know when you said there about feeling like a bit ropey, like a bit shaky when the Indo shared that stuff, like recovery and getting a life and healing has been more about actually being able to love and be loved and I know that sounds cheesy but at the end of the day like I, I, when I graduated from Trinity I stood in front of Mary Robinson she stood there and she gave me my PhD and I turned around and looked at my husband who was there with my little boy and I was like I don't need Trinity to fucking tell me mm -hmm. whether I'm a good person or not like me, my husband and my family tell me that and I never ever in my life thought that I'd be loved because my ma didn't love me my dad didn't love me and so to be able to be loved and love another human being and actually then be there for me kids, that's the ultimate success. And I'm so proud of that. Do you know what I mean? Like more so than being a doctor. Fuck being a doctor. <laughs> I'm a mother and a wife yeah. and, a, and, a, and I'm a friend. And yeah. all the, they're, they're the other things that you lose in, in, in the middle of all the trauma and the poverty is the capacity to know your worth like.
And I have that. I'm so fucking delighted with that. You're a fucking legend, Katrina. What a note to finish on. Legend. <laughs> Absolute legend. Thank you. No Thanks problem. for coming in, Katrina. Thanks very much. Uh, right, you ready to wrap her up, Terry? Wrap her up, son. Yeah, right there. Take us out there, Siobhan. Boom. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. What you waiting for? Put your back in it. Just a little more. Throw your whip in it now. Fill your body up in. Walk it high and low. When you finish that. The hip knocker.